the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. Yeah, it's been a uh, very interesting. I hope everybody had a really happy new year. Uh, I've got Mike Seeger in the office here with me to do today's show. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Yep, thanks for having me. No problem. And uh, Mike's actually the uh, producer now of the Lookout for the Bull website, so we'll be talking about that in uh, much more detail later in today's show. If you have a question for us, feel free to call 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. And you can also go to uh, my website. We've got a seminar coming up January 30th. And we're calling it the Question and Answer Seminar. And some of the questions we're going to talk about is the economy's on a roll, but how long will it last? You might have heard that manufacturing's been contracting, and it has been, on um, a large number of reasons. But uh, a lot of the other economic activity has picked up to kind of uh, stave that off somewhat, to, to kind of mute the impact. So we'll talk about that in a little more detail. Are interest rates ever going to go up? That's always kind of interesting. An awful lot of people would love to have a if you if you had a five percent CD right now, if some bank had a five percent CD, or let's say all the banks had five percent CDs, that big sucking sound you're hearing outside all across the country is money coming out of the stock market and going back to a CD. <laughs> That's all you would need to do five percent CD. Yeah. Anyway, is that going to happen anytime soon? Uh, we don't think so. And I'll talk to you about why and what you may be able to do about it. We're going to look at various uh, dividend income, equity income strategies that you might be able to use. In the meantime, uh, we're also going to talk about, is it possible today to minimize taxes without reducing your returns? Uh, in some cases, it is. Uh, that's There are a couple different items out there uh, that uh, are relatively new. Uh, there's an investment-only annuity that has super low expenses. It's really more like a, uh, uh, it's kind of like a non-qualified uh, IRA where you don't get to deduct the contribution, but it's tax deferred, but this has no limit. So when you're doing the IRA, uh, and if you don't qualify for the tax deduction, you can do a, uh, uh, you know, a, an IRA that you, a non-deductible IRA, but it's got a limit to the amount that you can put into it. Well, this is going to work very similarly except that there are no limits. And the expense ratio is super low. This one's actually the lowest in the country right now. And uh, you've got huge funds available in there. We'll, we'll explain all that in great detail. 
Uh, we actually manage portfolios in that, so that's a uh, uh, a nice thing to be looking at. One of the biggest differences between that and a bunch of other uh, the other annuities is that this has no sales charge in or out, meaning there are no penalties if you decided to change your mind. So that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And uh, in my mind, if you're going to get charged a penalty uh, to take your money out, then I would probably avoid that. I would just, why? I mean, why would you do that if you if you could avoid it? And if you can reduce the expenses by 80 or 90%, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yep. So uh, anyway, we're also going to talk about how do you, you know, I've been hearing market's going to crash, market's going to crash. Market's not going to crash. And if it does, you know, so what? It'll come back. Stocks are not overvalued. And every day when, when Mike's running the scans, and by the way, uh, Mike's had to sit through all my boring training for hours on end. <laughs> <laughs> so I know he's very good at what he's doing uh, and uh, living proof that it, it can be taught. Yeah, I was a little worried there at the beginning because uh, a lot of people just never end up getting it. <laughs> but, but Mike gets it. So uh, I'm buying my stocks now in that portfolio from the list that he's publishing. So that that's kind of neat. Yeah, you exaggerate a little bit. It's only about half as bad as you say it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I uh, I'm running that now, and I'm I'm very thankful that you you know taught me how to do that, and uh, it's exciting. Yeah, and uh, it it'll be uh, it'll go through periods where it's super exciting, uh, both directions, <laughs> and you'll see. Uh, and you know, it's just a really realistically, uh, it's kind of a, a quantitative approach. Uh, it mostly math, mostly math. And, uh, um, there's, oh, I don't know, probably, uh, well, there's a, actually a large percentage of your own work involved because everybody, if, if you give the same list to 40 people, they're all going to pick different stocks out of that list. And, uh, whether or not, they're super successful in the short run uh, or in the long run. It's really a matter of luck. So it's just managing the risk. The same way with uh, your portfolios, managing the risk. That was part. That's going to be part of our uh, conversation. How do you manage? How do you minimize risk when the stock market's so volatile? The stock market's up and down a lot. By the way, the first thing you should do is probably turn off uh, CNN or CNBC. And try not to look at the headlines uh, of even the Wall Street Journal. Because these guys were talking about, they do this all the time. It just kills me that they're doing this. I know why they do it. They, they like to sensationalize everything. In fact, if you made the uh, uh, media today, the financial media, we sh- I think we should put them in charge of all these signs inside of an elevator. Okay? Because if you did that, the heart attacks in the country would drop precipitously. <laughs> Why? Because the elevator would say soar and plunge and more people would take the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're able to do that, because you know, I'm so tired. They're talking, oh, the stock market was up 32% last year. Yeah, but it was down 20% in December. <laughs> it's not up a lot. For, actually, if you go back to 2018, it's only up 12.5%. 2018, that's two years. Okay. So that's that's actually pretty good, by the way, the long-term average, you know, around 10% or so. The uh, um, But actually, that's 
I, I take that back. That that's half of the long term average over the past little over two years. So and that's one of the things that uh, is just it. It just kind of gets under my skin. Should probably not let it do that. You'd think I'd be used to it by now, but I'm telling you, uh, if you put the newspapers in charge of elevator signs, they would say soar and plunge. They wouldn't say up or down. They love to get reactions. And today it's necessary because you've got so many people competing for your attention. And you know as well as anybody, they get paid per views, paid per clicks. They know when you visit their website, they know which stories you're clicking on. The, the companies that put those stories out there are charging for that to give the position. And so it's really difficult, extremely difficult to get unbiased information. You really have to, everything you're looking at, you got to take with a grain of salt. And if you can't find several sources uh, of data to back up whatever it is you're reading, um, I don't know. I would just excuse it. So anyway, back to kind of the, uh, uh, the topic. How do you minimize risk when the market's so volatile? And I'm going to come back to this. I can't believe, I, I would have thought, actually by now, I, I would have thought that I would not have had a job in the, in the industry. I thought earlier on, well, people are certainly going to, they're going to figure this out. You know? and, uh, and a couple things happened. Actually, markets don't behave the same way they did when I was new in the business. When I was brand new, you, know, you didn't have, the internet wasn't there. I mean, it didn't exist. So the only information you got was typically several weeks, maybe several months old by the time you got it. So you really had to study what you were doing. And uh, it was actually a little bit easier because you could, you could I would do searches, what you'd have to do by hand, by the way. <laughs> you'd go through the uh, Standard Poor's books. And we all had analysts back in those days that worked for the firms that actually, some of them were pretty good. Uh, but you still wanted to know what they were talking about. So you had to, you had to study a little bit, but you could find stocks that were literally selling below the asset values uh, of the companies. They call that book value. And there's another one called net asset value, which is a, a much stricter uh, measure. You could find companies that were selling for the net asset value is basically an estimate of what they could get if they liquidated the company. Okay. So you could find companies selling below their net asset values and who were still making money. They weren't even losing money. And that was so easy. You just buy a, a bucket of those things, and sooner or later, if they didn't go out of business, which most of them wouldn't because you know they had more cash than they had debt, the, uh, something happened, and the share price would go up, you know, 100, 200, 300%. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Those days are over. <laughs> those days are gone a long time ago. That actually didn't even work that long because when I got into the industry, the internet was coming into being and information started being uh, uh, more available, not to the public, but to professional portfolio managers and the mutual fund industry was growing like crazy. It was the ETF industry of its day. Hmm. Uh, mutual funds were coming out left and right and uh, they really had a... Uh, uh, it was a big deal for, oh, I don't know, probably the first 10 years of my existence in the industry. And then they started coming out with exchange-traded funds who have much lower expense ratios and, and are clearly defined as to what they do. They're very clearly defined. 
those are the uh, the two biggest differences. An actively managed fund is is something that where a, a stock picker uh, is going to go out and select stocks that that they think are have the most potential. And uh, a a big majority of those funds um, sooner or later are going to lag the uh, the S and P five hundred sometimes for three or four years in a row. That does not mean that the fund's a bad fund, and that that's part of the problem I think with investors is they don't know that they don't know that Warren Buffett's underperformed the S and P multiple times in his career. And by the way, he's the greatest that's ever lived. So if you think you're going to do better than Warren Buffett, good uh, luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck. But, uh, uh, you know, even, uh, Peter Lynch, same thing. And he was a portfolio manager for 13 years. I think 10,000 invested was right around 330,000 when he retired in just 13 years. Some people go, well, that, that doesn't sound like much. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> so he had the greatest track record of uh, any mutual fund manager that's ever lived. And, um, but again, you know, a lot of this stuff was before information flowed through to the other portfolio managers, not the public. The public has um, struggled, the vast majority of them, because it, you know, it takes a long time just to learn how to read financial statements. And then the changes that come out all the time, they're just keeping up with that. Uh, the fact that the economy is a much different economy than it was back in those days. Uh, so a lot of changes to keep up with. And one of the developments I like a lot is the fact that the exchange-traded fund declares exactly what they're going to do with your money for the most part. There are some actively managed ones. The guys were the man, you know, they're tr- still trying to pick the stocks. That's fine. But the vast majority of them tell you exactly how they're managing the money. And that's a big deal because you can know, you, you have a better idea of what to expect. You know? And it's that expectation that, that creates the stress on individual investors, at least it's my opinion, for a lot of it because they have an expectation that's not based on knowledge of what the, is happening with the money. It's just basically looking at the past history and saying, oh, yeah, well, I, I like that. Well, yeah, see, that's kind of like driving home looking in your rearview mirror at where you've just been. So instead of putting that, that uh, solar shade, pulling that out of your window before you take off, you just leave it there. And you look in the rearview mirror and say, oh, if I just look at where I've been, that'll get me to where I, I want to go. Yeah, I, I wouldn't try that, by the way. B- bad idea. But when it comes to investing, that is exactly what people do. They look at where that fund has been, not how it got there. <laughs> and you've got to look out the front. You know, you've got to see why it was successful and uh, what kind of obstacles did they have to overcome. Same like with a, a car. You know, if you're on a road and a bridge is out, you got to you have to change your direction you know, unless you just want to you know, crash. But the uh, most people don't want to do that. And uh, I know that probably sounds uh, kind of silly to an awful lot of people, but um, it's it's the real deal. And there are certain uh, attributes that you're looking for. Like I, I just started, I started the show talking about the companies that had, were selling below their net current asset value. The, uh, that is a mathematical formula. That's just a formula. And it happened to be a very successful one. In fact, Warren Buffett's mentor, Ben Graham made back all the money he lost during the stock market crash by buying companies below their net current asset values. Hmm. And when he retired, despite the fact that he lived through the depression and invested money 
all the way through the Depression. His track record when he retired was 14.5% a year over his career. That, that's amazing. To, have, to be down 70% and then make all that back up and get your return up to where it's at 14 that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. So like I said, you can still do that today. And, and one of the more popular ones, and ones I like a lot, are, are companies that uh, they'll go out and invest in companies who are growing their dividends. The, the thing about growing your dividend is you have to be earning a profit to be able to pay a dividend it, to maintain the dividend. Uh, you can pay a dividend without earning a profit, but eventually you're going to run out of money and then you're going to be you know, in big trouble. <laughs> so if you're looking at uh, a dividend that's actually been earned by a company who has has been earning a certain rate of return on the money that's been entrusted to them, that's a, that can be a really good thing. That can be a really good portion of a portfolio. We have three different funds in our in our basic model that do that. They look at not only the companies that are paying dividends, but how are they paying them? Are they earning the dividend? If they're not earning the dividend, they're paying it out of the company's cash. And sooner or later, that cash is going away. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yep. So uh, that's a big deal. We're going to, you know, I'll touch on some of those things uh, at the seminar. And uh, that that's one of the ways of kind of minimizing risk when you look at how the uh, stocks are, are picked, how they're selected. It's a big deal. I'm going to tell you, m- most of the time, a market cap weighted index in an upward market when the market's been going like last year, last year was a very good year for market cap weighted funds. In fact, a lot of years are very good years for market cap weighted guns when they're going up, when they're going up, they tend to blister just about everything else at some point in time. And it's, it's only um, when they're going down and they're blistering on their way down. If you look at uh, September 19th of last year, last fall, from September of 19th to, let's see what this day is here. Sorry about the delay there. So the low, uh, yeah, let me, sorry about this. I I probably should have, oh, nope. We're going to have to wait to talk about that, how fast that decline came. Right after we come back from these commercial messages, you're listening to Bill and Mike right here on 1420. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I would do to have the kind of faith it takes to climb out of this boat and then onto the crash. And we're back listening to Bill Bullington and Mike Seeger right here on 1420 The Answer. Uh, we're at this station every week from 11 to noon. You can also find this show at 955thefishes podcast, uh, or you can go to my website if you wanted to download it. That's bullingtoncapital.com. And if you wanted to sign up for that seminar we have coming up, it is uh, January 30th. It's at the Corporate College. Uh, it's right over on off of Richmond Road in Warrensville Heights, uh, right near Beachwood. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And we're going to be talking about... Uh, well, actually, we're going to be doing questions and answers, and we're going to take a few minutes to talk about several topics, how to save money on taxes, uh, what kinds of um, things you can do to try to get more income out of your portfolios without increasing your risk too much. Uh, we're going to talk about how the, how much how strong the economy is or how weak it might be, and I always like to talk about developments 
that are happening, they're going to push the economy forward. And there are just so many of them. I mean, I, I think it's probably appropriate that it's now 2020. Uh, it kind of reminds me of you know the Roaring Twenties, because if you if you look back to that period, we just actually just gotten out of World War One, but there were so many technologies that were really taking off. They had uh, uh, heavy equipment. Uh, trains, by the way, had been around since the mid-1800s, but uh, a lot of developments in the trains made them a lot more efficient. Uh, at the same time, you, you, you had the Industrial Revolution. Uh, Henry Ford started rolling off Model A's, and they were really cooking in the 1920s, and everybody else was copying that and trying to get that going. There was this little invention you may have heard of called radio <laughs> <laughs> that was also across the country and uh, rolling out across the country. It was the Internet of its day, uh, and uh, that created an awful lot of economic growth. And so you you go back and you look at that time period, and you go, wow, you know, things were just really moving quickly. Uh, Now, it ended up where the stock market got overvalued. The uh, uh, economy slowed down. Um, They they used to be allowed to buy stock like you would buy a house. You would put 10% down. And you could borrow ninety percent from your brokerage firm. They don't allow that anymore. I have a couple uh, guesses why. Yeah, <laughs> that would be bad. Could you imagine? You, and by the way, the one day correction, you know, the crash of nineteen twenty nine was only eleven percent. But when you're ten percent, when you only have ten percent equity, not only did you lose all your money, you owe ten percent more than you had invested. <laughs> So the chances of that happening again are uh, nearly zero. Uh, the SEC was didn't exist. Uh, the FDIC didn't exist. Uh, a bank could call your mortgage, and you had 30 days to come up with the money to pay your house off, or they would take it back from you. Hmm. Yeah, so there are just so many things, because that's exactly, you know, whenever I bring this up, and this is kind of funny. To be a financial advisor, here's what you're asking for. You're going to bring up something that's a positive and you're going to get probably half the people that you talk to that will throw every negative they can possibly think of, hoping that you'll be able to defend it and tell them why that's not going to happen. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what it's like to be a financial advisor. I'm surprised more of them uh, you know, don't uh, uh, have severe uh, anxiety issues. <laughs> But I'm sure a lot of them do. I know, I know they do, actually. But uh, uh, sometimes I'm one of them. But the uh, reality is the economy is so strong right now. And there are so many different ways that it's growing. And I'm going to have to take a phone call, right? <laughs> I've got a uh, Matt. Matt, you're on the Bullington Capital Report. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. Thanks. You too. So I kind of just wanted to ask you, you know, you're talking about the Roaring Twenties, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm a student of history, and I love following all that kind of stuff. I started investing back in the 90s, and I went through the whole dot-com boom when you could throw a, sure. you know, a, a dart right. at the stock pages and you could make money. You know, I, I watched the whole housing, you know, bubble burst, the banking bubble burst, yep. and, uh, you know, and then things with commodities. And obviously, I, and I understand things are, you know, they're cyclical, there's different reasons things go up and down, but... I guess my question is, because I know that the banking of problems in the banking industry can kind of be core with any problem with investing. Do you feel like since 07 and 08 that they've kind of 
and I've heard that they're kind of loosening up on their regulations, but do you, do you feel like overall that something like that is not going to happen again? Like even though they might get a little bit loose with some things, that they've really kind of managed what's going to happen with anything with the banking again? And Well, I think they're doing a much better job of managing that than they did before. Uh, it'll never be perfect, and that's actually a natural part of the cycle. At, right. at some point in time, uh, banks lend too much money with too little down required and not enough margin on the upside. And where, where we get in trouble is when they lighten up on the restrictions of who they'll lend the money to. So if you're lending money to people who can't pay it back, you know that's a problem. Oh, they're probably giving money to homeless people back then. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you had, uh, they called them liar loans. They, they, right. you know, you'd call up the loan company that was online, and the, the person answering their phone was, um, you do make $70,000 a year, don't you? And people would right. go, well, no. And they would say, let me say that again. You do make, <laughs> and, and so people, right. oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And uh, they would actually, <laughs> now that's a rumor. <laughs> I don't know anybody well, that's actually done that, but uh, no. But you, you're right, and I, you know, I, I work in the law enforcement field, and I literally watch that housing thing destroy, um, you know, quality neighborhoods, you know, you know, inner ring suburbs, urban communities where right. it, they just destroyed it, and, you know, and the, the pump and dump on those houses, and you know, I'm mean, obviously you blame people for you know taking out loans that they weren't in a position to do, but obviously the banks had a big responsibility with that and, you know, kind of giving money out to just about anybody. Right. Or credit cards for that matter. Yep. Yeah. Credit cards are um, a little easier uh, to get, uh, but you're right though. That was a, a problem before that though. Uh, you had the resolution trust corporation that was set up. Uh, the Congress funded it to pay back a bunch of the bad loans that were made in uh, commercial real estate. That was the uh, early right. 90s. And you know what's wild is the number relative to the size of the economy at that time was actually larger. The losses were larger as a percentage of GDP than the 2006 bubble that burst that was in uh, housing. The reason 2006 through 2009 was so difficult is because it might take, you know, 10 to 15 times the amount of paperwork to lose money on housing than it did on a commercial building. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So that was one of the other uh, bad (laughs) occurrences that happened. Even though the losses were, were smaller as a percentage of GDP, you had mountains of paperwork that people had to wade right. through to get that all fixed. And and by the way, the the thing that the Fed did in order to get us out of that mess, they forgave a lot of those loans, they printed up money, they re, they rebuilt the financial system and they got us back on track eventually. The net result of all that stuff is inflation. I don't know about you, but they're building houses all over the place and you know starting starting costs 140 bucks a square foot on your property. Hmm. <laughs> right. That that's crazy. I mean, but it that's the way it is. And and the uh, housing's still going pretty good. Uh, but my point is the natural result of doing all this stuff is inflation. And that's why it's so important especially today to have a well-balanced portfolio 
because a bond portfolio is not going to keep up with inflation, especially when you start taxing it. You right. add inflation and taxes together, and those CDs that people have are losing money every year. They're becoming worth less and less, even after the interest that they get, because the purchasing power goes away. So that's right. I mean, I remember getting CDs back in the 90s where I was paying 5%, and then talking to people back in the late 70s and 80s when interest rates were up, and, and you could get CDs, I, I believe, up to like 10, 12% for. Some of them were 15 for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Right. That's nuts. And so I I guess kind of obviously watching, you know, the the stock market be artificially inflated in the late 90s, the housing market being artificially inflated, do you feel like things have kind of settled where growth is kind of back to the norm? Or do you see another bubble on the horizon? Well, well, right now, if you look at it, there's a good way of kind of measuring how far away uh, the market is from what would be considered to be normal. That's always shifting a little bit, by the way. But the uh, So if you look at price-to-sales ratios and you look at average profit margins, that, that, that's something I'll, I'll probably touch a little bit on in the seminar. It, it kind of gets pretty deep in the weeds, and I end up losing a lot of people. But if you right. look at where it is right now, it's right around normal. It's right, right. around normal. So that's why I'm excited about the opportunities today, if you, this, we're kind of similar to where we were in 1996. Uh, that led to three years of, of super growth. I hope that doesn't happen again. I hope we don't have, you know, three or four years back to back of 30% growth in the stock market because the gro- market's going to be overpriced and everybody is going to want in at, right. at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping yeah. that that doesn't come back. And uh, it doesn't look every time you make those mistakes, by the way, and especially in America, any country in the world that, that's got some relatively intelligent people in it, they look at the mistakes and then they say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't do that again. Right. <laughs> or maybe next time we'll try something different. And so we learn by experience and uh, experience is a great teacher, but I'm always happier when it's somebody else's experience that I'm learning from <laughs> than having well, to go through that's that. the problem. Right. The problem, though, is people say, well, next time will be different next time. But I do truly feel like it seems like things have settled and like growth is normal, like inflation grows at a normal rate. Interest rates are growing at a normal rate, which is what I think most people are willing to accept. Yeah, yeah, I Uh, I agree with you. It's much more. Everything is close to normal right now, which is good. That that's awesome, especially when you still have GDP growth. That's excellent especially when you have other industries that are brand new. This whole 5G thing, everybody thinks it's just your phone and your your cable. Uh, it was built for driverless cars. That's what the technology was, was intended for. Then they realized that if they put the network all the way out across the country, that you can do what I do. I, I watch YouTube television. I don't have, I have a cable subscription, uh, but it only does internet. And mm-hmm. so I, I pay... Google 50 bucks a month for YouTube television. I got more channels than I can ever watch. Unlimited DVR time. Uh, it'll, it'll, they'll copy anything. There are tons of movies on there that are free. So my total expenses on my, uh, cable bill are, are relatively small. They're under a hundred dollars a month. And I have better services than a lot of people who are paying two or three times what I'm paying. Now, well, and that's, that's something I know I'm dealing with instruct with 
and that's an industry I see where I, I wonder if they're going to be phased out, you know, the, the cable industry. Oh, uh, well, what will happen is, and, and they're trying to make the transition, they're going to transition over to 5G. They'll still provide services. They're just going to provide it wirelessly instead of having to have all that fiber optic running to your house. Uh, it'll right. actually, in, in the long run, it'll be better for them. It'll be let more cost effective. It's a little bit easier to repair because the uh, the networks are these these transceivers are incredibly small. Um, the the big money is spent on the development, research and development costs. The actual manufacturing of them is not very expensive, so they can roll those out pretty quickly once they've gotten once they've captured back the cost of developing the technology. It's cool, and from what I understand, the chips are reprogrammable. So instead of having to put new antennas, new transceivers up, uh, or I don't know if you ever see the cell phone towers, they got all this stuff stapled on them. <laughs> you know, yeah, every, right. every time the technology improves, they got to go out to those towers and add the extra stuff on there. By the way, don't try to right. use your cell phone near Rockside Road on 77 because it's going out. <laughs> good to know. Yeah. Well, I'm going to excuse myself, Bill, but it's always good to listen to your radio station. Oh, so thanks for calling, have a Matt. Great New Year. Thanks. Okay. You, you too. Bye bye. Yeah, so I guess I will. Uh, we're coming close to a uh, commercial break here, and then when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the last scan that uh, Mike sent out for the Lookout for the Bull website, and uh, some of the stocks that are showing up there because it's interesting. The uh, uh, but yeah, you know what he was talking about. Things are really close to normal. Um, the extremely close to normal. That makes me feel great, especially when you have a lot of things happening that are. Uh, should lead to further growth. You know, that the 5G thing is not just computers. I mean, it is, it's everything. Uh, it's toys. It's, it's the, the, those ring things where you see the guy looking on his phone and seeing, you know, looking out at his house. Hmm. Well, that enables to do you to do that with literally almost no lag. Uh, there, it just goes so far. Artificial intelligence. You know, they, uh, you're going to be, actually, they're going to be listening to you. See, so you know, that, that's kind of wild. I, they're doing it now. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're going to feel like they're reading your mind, but you, you won't realize that it was because you were talking about <laughs> something to somebody in your house. It's a little bit now, but it's going to get bigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to get bigger. So actually, you know, this might be a Shark Tank thing. Let's, let's build, let's build in uh, a room or just a, a little structure that you could set up. Maybe you could uh, unfold it. It's like a box. That you can get inside in your house and talk that blocks all the signals, <laughs> so that you can talk to somebody. The uh, I'm not sure that would be a big seller, but <laughs> anyway, I hear the uh, music. That means we've got to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington and Mike Seizer right here on 1420. Stay tuned because we'll be right back. On a Sunday evening, I'm looking back. We're back here with Mike Seeger and Bill Bullington. We're here every Saturday morning. At least I am. The uh, and uh, Mike is the uh, producer. I train him myself. We talk every day. The uh, he's actually running the scans for the Lookout for the Bull website, which I think is awesome. 
and uh, he has got a really good understanding of it. And uh, so I thought we would talk a little bit about uh, some of the companies that are coming up in there. One of them, one of the companies that came up on the scan was a company called Aerovironment. And Aerovironment, I've been in and out of that stock over the years. Um, they do a, uh, a lot of stuff. Actually, it's amazing how much that company has changed since the first time uh, I started looking at it. In fact, if if I'm not mistaken, um, I think that they had a uh, uh, charging systems for lithium-ion batteries. That was a part of the, the business, and I think that might, might, might have gotten spun off. Interesting, because today they're, they're all about drones, right? Yep, yeah, and uh, so they do uh, almost exclusively that stuff. So I could be wrong because uh, I've been doing this for so long. Sometimes it's just uh, that's the way it goes. But, yeah, they do mostly drones. Uh, if you want to go to their website, avinc.com, uh, it's going to be called Aerovironment. And the only reason I bring this up is because it has a classic-looking breakout on its chart. It's classic. It's selling at four times revenues. That's not cheap. That's not cheap at all. But... A company like that, their sales and profits can can fluctuate wildly, and oftentimes the share price will go up in advance. So that's why we look. That's why I, I learned to look at the share price movement instead of just the financial statements, because there are people who are really close to the situation that are investing, that uh, understand what the products. Uh, product lines are are and that are changing and what the potential might be for that and they will run that share price up in advance <laughs> so you want to kind of take a look at that and uh, uh when when that one came up i was uh, just brought back a lot of memories and that's actually why I, I talked about it and it's got a really nice looking chart and it was up six percent on friday it closed right near the high of the day the volume was above average and over the past uh Three months, it's in the top 10% of all stocks. So it, it's got, the odds are actually in its favor now. Okay. Uh, even with a price to sales ratio of four, that's really not that bad for the type of company that is. A little high if, you know, if, if they were producing soap. Uh, but their, their products tend to be very expensive and, uh, the big buyer of theirs is the, the military and we all know the military is really frugal, right? <laughs> just kidding but the uh i'm sure the buyers do as good a job as they possibly can there but the uh so anyway if you wanted to check that out the stock symbol is avav and that would be one of the uh, recommendations that comes out on the the list that you're you're running every day i just had a uh, uh i was just curious um what's your overall um opinion of this stuff uh relative to what it was before you started uh, you talking about the momentum scan specifically, or yeah, in investing just in general? Oh well, so before I ever interned with you about a year and a half ago, um, my understanding of, of of the stock market was very simple. It was very um, pedestrian, I would say. So a lot of the things I stuck to is you know buy and hold, uh, buy low, sell high. That was kind of my understanding. Um, and I think there there are two or three lessons that are very simple. Obviously, it's more complicated than that, but there's two or three lessons that you've kind of taught me. That I think um, really stuck with me, the whole idea of of you know controlling your risk, you know regardless of what you're buying, putting stops, uh, using your one percent rule, that sort of thing. It it never would have occurred to me beforehand um, to to run it that way. Um, so that was really really interesting to me. I guess if I could sum it all up, I'd say that 
there is um there are very smart ways to do this and i was under the impression that it was much more luck based right so uh <laughs> if you follow the rules it makes a lot of sense right i guess that's what i'm trying to say yeah and uh one of my uh, reasons for putting this website up is cuz i used to do this for uh actually it was 50% of the money that i managed i used to use these exact parameters uh, i had to stop a couple reasons um the speed is way faster than it was back when I was doing this. And it was pretty quick back then. But now it is just mind-boggling how fast these sucks can go up and down. Okay, so, And I have a much larger client base, so it's almost impossible. And to top this all off, this is something that you do because you really like doing it, mm-hmm. uh, that, you, that you enjoy it. it. It's a hobby that can make you money. Most hobbies cost you a lot of money. Uh, especially if any women are involved. <laughs> Just kidding. But the, um, uh, anyway, this is a, a hobby that can make you money. Uh, it's fun to talk about. It gives you a much better insight into how stocks really work and how they behave. So, and that's what I really like about it. It's, it's an educational tool. Uh, and it'll just open your eyes. And then when you start listening to some of the other things that I'm, I'm saying, uh, like having a plan, uh, every ETF, the prospectus, is its plan. They're telling you what its plan is ahead of time. So if you understand and can recognize those characteristics, say like profitability, <laughs> that's always a good thing. Yeah, you go, oh, okay, I get that. You know, and you become comfortable with your investments. And comfort is kind of a key. You need to be comfortable with what you're doing, uh, but only if you want to be successful. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to be, uh, if you want to join the average investor who, by the way, over the past 20 years, while the S&P's averaged, you know, about almost 8% a year, uh, they've averaged under two. Oof. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you want to do better than that. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> then it, it's really a good thing to understand all this stuff. And one last thing I did want to touch on. Uh, it's kind of like that, that 1% rule when you're, you're buying, uh, as your account grows, the uh, a percentage that you're going to invest is going to be larger because it counts bigger. Mm-hmm. Okay. As you count, when you go through a losing period, your next transaction is actually going to be a little bit smaller because it's based on the account size, not on a dollar amount. Right, it's that percentage. Yes, that is a huge deal. That has an enormous impact on how well you're going to do. And uh, again, we'll talk about that at that, that seminar that's coming up. And I'll talk about this all the time. It's... You know, it's kind of like uh, working with my dad. My dad was a carpenter, and we did a lot of remodeling, like a lot of remodeling. And I was always amazed that we could go into these old neighborhoods around Cleveland, been built in the early 1900s, and we could take a house, and we could make it look brand new. And what really cracked me up is when the house would be leaning. <laughs> <laughs> the house is leaning, but if you put the siding on straight and level, and then you adjust the windows. You take it, put new windows in the house. You actually have to shim them up. You're putting those straight. So the house actually looks straight. <laughs> you can fix a leaning house and make it look straight. So that kind of stuff, I just thought it was magic. You know, we go in and uh, you put new drywall in. You have to tear out all that old lath. But that stuff, you know what lath is? Um, there's strips of wood. And then you used to put plaster on top of it. They didn't have drywall back in, in those really early days nasty <laughs> but we would tear that out 
put up the new stuff, get it taped, painted, and the house just looked brand new. You know, so I was always amazed by that. So that also is in my blood. <laughs> I love the, my favorite television channel, HDTV. Mm. Yeah, and I was so thankful when uh, YouTube television added that. <laughs> so I, I was missing it from before. But the, uh, and now uh, all these television stations are going to be uh, streaming. So anyway, what was interesting, I just ran the, uh, uh, the scan myself, and I'm looking at uh, some of the other names. Some of these I already own because they've been coming up. And, and that's what you'll find as well. Uh, stock will show up several times. Yeah, a couple list. of them showed up in the past two or three days. I know uh, Trepanion was one of them. Right. Um, Trepanion, by the way, is a, uh, I only know this because I've been looking it up. Uh, they do insurance for pets. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yep. So I was like, people love their pets. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really love their pets. I, I get it. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was uh, kind of interesting. Now, and this is one where the Trepanion, uh reason I haven't owned it actually is that the average price to sales ratio for an insurance company is typically between 1 and 1. 1.5. Okay? Its price to sales ratio is 2.46. So I'm not all that enthused to be paying uh, a much higher price for it. Uh, although, you know, it'll probably go up and double now because I said that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other thing that you'll learn is uh, to develop a sense of humor. <laughs> you'll be laughing at yourself mostly. Yeah, that's hard for some people to learn how to do. But if you stick with it long enough, you'll have no choice. <laughs> that's just kind of how that whole thing works. But uh, anyway, so if you'd like to uh, come, uh, and I'll actually be showing uh, the website and going through that stuff at that question and answer seminar because um, I think it's a really good uh, good thing to do. And like I said, there are funds that are doing stuff that is you know, you're splitting hairs. They're, they're very similar. If, if this th- kind of stuff sounds good to you, you're young, uh, you want a uh, momentum. That's what they typically refer to it as momentum investment model. There are several out there and they're very good. And the chances of you actually beating them are pretty remote. Uh, the chances of me beating them pretty remote. I only do it because I like doing it. And I've got a very small percentage of my money, uh, in there, probably large to a lot of people, but it's a small percentage of my total. So, uh, yeah, that's a big deal. Now that I hear the music, I guess they're kicking us out of here. <laughs> hey, Mike, thanks for coming. Again, Mike Seeger, uh, the editor of Look Out for the Bull, and I'm Bill Bullington, president of Bullington Capital Management. Thanks for listening today. Have a good week, good investing, and good luck. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report. Broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.